0: And success for me is um, having the complexion of tech change um, so that there's more black and brown um, CEOs, uh, because I think diversity starts at the top and it starts from the onset. If you believe we can change the
1: narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson, welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator Rob Richardson. With me is uh, Clarence Wooten. He is a man of many talents. He's been a serial entrepreneur, uh, has reinvented himself over and over again, was in this game from Internet 1.0, actually the beginning when the Internet was, not when the Internet first started, but when the Internet started first being commercialized uh, and has and is still doing, still reinventing himself, still doing a lot out here in Silicon Valley and is
0: doing a lot to uh, really promote a more inclusive ecosystem. Clarence, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. You made me sound like a real old man. But, you know, quite frankly, the internet's not that old, at least not the web (laughs) portion of it. But um, I definitely feel like an OG when people introduce me that way.
1: Yeah, well, you're seasoned. You're not an old man because the internet, in terms of how it's commercialized and its use, is not that old, as you said. And it's... uh, I mean, it's, it's moving faster than, than, the, than the speed of light at this point in terms of how things are just changing and how fast they are changing. Uh, so l- let's talk a little bit about your journey. You first started off, you said you, you've, you've sold two businesses, I believe, right? Um, but walk me through the beginning when you were just kind of starting off. If you could talk to your younger self, Clarence, when you were just kind of getting into this entrepreneurial world, what advice would you give your younger self and what advice would you ignore?
0: Wow. OK. Um, you know, I, I think uh, one piece of advice and as the saying, it goes a lot of entrepreneurs uh, overestimate what they can achieve in a year, but underestimate what they can do in 10. Right. So um, I think that's one piece of advice I would have given myself because there were a couple of opportunities uh, where I think I could have built a more meaningful company before exiting. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, things weren't moving fast enough for me. And quite frankly, you know, company building is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. Uh, And I I think I would have started investing more earlier, um, you know, uh, uh, because of how the Internet's taken off. Companies can go from zero to since we were just talking about Clubhouse, Clubhouse in 12 months. And yep. so I've had lots of opportunities to, to be angel investors and in, in companies that became these unicorns got to a billion dollars in valuation. And I wasn't thinking like an investor. I was mostly thinking like an entrepreneur. So I, I would probably do two things simultaneously a little mm. bit more of both. Um, uh, and it's, and it's probably so many more things I would tell myself, but um uh, you know, we could probably take the whole show up yeah. uh, just, just on those.
1: Well, I want to talk about that. At one point you said thinking like an entrepreneur and not an investor. What's the difference between those approaches and how do you kind of think about those as a business person overall?
0: Yeah, well, when you're an entrepreneur, you really are an investor. You're investing in you, right? right. Um, um, but you're an investor who's not diversified because, you know, when you, when you go out to build your own company, all of your resources, your capital, your focus is on that, like a laser, which is what it should be. Um, but if the company isn't successful um, and you've spent five years, then you you were not a diversified investor. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're typically encircled with a bunch of other entrepreneurs who are on that same journey. And so really the smart play, uh, if you can, is to find a way to invest in, some of the entrepreneurs that you're in a journey with, especially in, if you're in a space like tech, because one of you is going to make it, um, you know, almost like being in the minor leagues, right? So you're in the minor leagues, you're playing baseball with a bunch of other players. You guys don't really know who's going to get called up, but if you could invest in each other, so that one guy who becomes, gets called up and becomes Albert Pujols, um, you get a piece of his salary, right? So, so that's, that's kind of the analogy that I'm using. Um, because you're kind of in that mix uh, with other entrepreneurs doing exciting things. And, you know, you're not the only one that has the greatest idea. And even if your idea is successful, um, you know, you, you might just end up being, you know, a, an average major league player versus somebody who becomes the, the next Babe Ruth who, who, you, who you knew back when, and you could have been very easily put 10 K into what they were doing or less. And that 10 K might be 10 X, Um, what you've made
1: as an entrepreneur yeah that's awesome advice what do you what advice would you ignore advice that you thought that maybe yourself at the time was great advice or advice you just received from others that uh you didn't know was horrible advice but now with your experience I, i didn't call you old but the seasoned experience you have uh that you know like you have you have some you have better perspective now what advice would you ignore
0: yeah, I mean, I had advice that I I ignored pretty early, and it, believe it or not, the advice came from my dad. You know, I can um, believe it. Yeah, <laughs> Is your dad an entrepreneur? Well, he was an entrepreneur, and I'll, I'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Um, which is the, which was, but but no, so so that advice was always own fifty one percent, right? Okay. Um, um, that way you always have control. Now I can see why he'd say that. That makes sense. I, I can see. I, I, I can see. I totally got why you said it, and, but once I really understood that um, when you're an entrepreneur, I mean, there's two types of entrepreneurs. There's small business owners, right, which they kind of need control, um, and then there's entrepreneurs trying to change the world. They're trying to get the scale. Like Mark, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't own 51% of Facebook, but uh, so that's, you know, um, percentage ownership is not the biggest control lever for one, um, and your goal is to turn a grape into a watermelon. Right. So I can own 100 percent of a grape, but that's not nearly worth as much as 20 percent of a watermelon. Um, But in order to get that grape to watermelon scale, I'm going to have to raise capital and bring in other investors along the way. So I might sell off 20 percent of that grape to get the capital I need to turn that grape into a plum. And then I sell 30 percent of that plum off to get the capital I need to turn it into, you know, a grapefruit. In route to becoming a watermelon, and then at the end of the day, I own 15 to 20 percent of that watermelon. But that o- watermelon is worth 500 million dollars. So, so, my stake is worth 100 million dollars when I could have owned 100 percent of a grape that was only worth, you know, maybe maybe three million dollars. Right. Right. So, um, just understanding leverage and understanding, you know, how to leverage other people's time and capital to get the scale. And so, um, and, and that doesn't happen when you are trying to maintain 51% ownership. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh,
1: so what do you think as you, as you're working to be a company, because it's a hard balance that the, the short term trying to live day in and day out. And then if you have a business, it's just assuming you have a business that is scalable, that can scale. How do you figure out that? What's the best way to kind of measure that balance to make sure you can get to that level? Like what's the What's the central, most important? If we had to say, what's the what's the most important essential skill set for a founder to have to become scalable at that level to really go to the next level?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think uh, first first a couple things. Market size is is almost everything. So if you're building a business to go after that has a very small market size, uh, it's, it's even if you do get the scale, it won't be you know, venture fundable, because if the, the industry is only a $50 million market, uh, you know, and you bust hump to get to 100% of that market, which no one ever does, right, you, you can only ever have a $50 million business. But if it's a $50 billion market, uh, and you only capture, you know, a small portion of that market, you can still have a billion dollar business. So that's the first ingredient. Uh, the next thing as an entrepreneur, I think you got to recognize that you are an investor. You're not just an entrepreneur. Um, um and you're a shareholder in your company and so very rarely does the skills that was required to go from idea to company and get it to that first 10 20 million dollars in revenue are the same skills to go from 20 million to 200 million in revenue and you got to recognize that that might that might not be your skill set right. um, but it doesn't have to be uh, as the founder of the company you're the largest shareholder you, you want to maximize your shareholder return. So, you know, if the company, if you get it to 20 million and you realize that it takes a different type of person who couldn't, who couldn't have done what you did to go from zero to 20 million, um, to now fly that plane and get it to 200 million, then you should gladly maybe take step back, take on a role of chairman or chairwoman and, and have that person scale your company. Um, and you'll, you'll learn a lot in that process and be a lot happier. And At the end of the day, you'll make a lot more money. So I think just really being self-aware and understanding that you are a uh, a shareholder first and foremost um, before you're an owner.
1: I think that, I think the word you said that really sticks out is about is, is self-awareness. and uh, And I believe m- most people are not self-aware. I think it's very hard to be self-aware because it requires a level of brutal honesty with yourself that most people are not comfortable having. Do you have a, Do you have any methods to help yourself become more self-aware? Like, how do you go about becoming uh, more self-aware?
0: Methods to becoming more self-aware. You know, I I think that it kind of happens over time. I mean, I I know that I love the startup process. You know, I love going from idea to thirty thousand feet. I'm a guy who's going to assemble the plane and get it off the runway and get it airborne. Um, But I don't necessarily want to fly the plane for ten years. Right. While while it's scaling, I would, you know, uh, and so I enjoy that the art of the start. Right. Uh, And that's really where the biggest value is created. Um, And so if you understand that about yourself um, and which is part of the reason why I started a venture studio, because it it enables me to roll up my sleeves, co-found companies with with black and brown entrepreneurs of color um, and help them fly those those planes and get them airborne as either a pilot or co-pilot. Um, And then monitor it from air traffic control and just get a bunch of planes up in the air of which I have, you know, where my team has ownership in those planes. And then when it's time to land those planes, because a big company wants to buy them um, to sort of then get involved again, because I have some experience there, too. And ultimately, you know, I think that's makes me happier and is a bigger way for me to personally build wealth um, because it's what I like to do.
1: So you see yourself. So the venture. Let's let's talk about what you're doing right right now um, with the venture studios. What? How are you guys? What what's your mission, and what does success look like for Revitalize Studios five years from now?
0: Yeah. So so Revitalize. Our mission is to change the complexion of tech by building breakout startups with Black founders and diverse teams. Uh, we also kind of have this other piece where we want to um, uh, empower under-resourced, underestimated communities to achieve equity, right? But, but the core is in um, building breakout tech startups with Black founders and diverse teams so that we can change the complexion of tech. Um, and uh, so, so really that's, that's what we're all about. So a lot of people wonder, okay, so what's a venture studio versus a venture fund? Um, I think movie studio is a great analogy, right? So as you can make an independent film and you're an independent filmmaker, and you go through all the trouble of you know, putting it together and trying to get distribution. Or you can pitch a film to a studio, like a Disney or Warner Brothers, um, and they'll take your script and work with you and turn that into a film and you'll get a piece. Um, uh, and so that's more of the venture studio model. We, we, we aren't just investors, we are co-founding company builders. And success for me is um, having the complexion of tech change. Um, so that there's more black and brown um, CEOs uh, because I think diversity starts at the top and it starts from the onset. And so if you want to build a diverse company, when that company gets to scale, if the founding DNA wasn't black or brown, then by the time you get to a thousand employees, you know, it's not black or brown, right? So when you look at a company like Google, if one of those founders, Larry or Sergey, if one of those were African-American, you can't tell me that Google wouldn't have 20% black workforce versus right. less than 2%, right? And so uh, that's kind of, you know, that that's my mission.
1: Yeah. So how do we, so uh, I want to challenge that statement a little bit. I, I agree uh, having a culture that's there and having a leadership that there helps. Sometimes, though, having people at the top that are different, sometimes they, the, it's the it becomes the exception to the rule, but sometimes it reinforces the old rule. So because like, you know, sometimes it's harder for people if you're at the top of a company because if it's, if it's just you, like I can tell, I was chairman of the board of University of Cincinnati. and I think I, I believe I did a lot there, but it's also very difficult if there's not a system in place. So how do you balance that out between obviously being a black person, knowing the systemic challenges that are there, but then figuring out a way to move your company forward that's intentional and inclusive um, in a way that actually gets that accomplished? Because it can be, it can be uh, I hear you, but I think it can be very difficult too. Like, how do you balance those two?
0: Well, first off, I think a lot of it is about networks. So when I look at the uh, anatomy and DNA of how Silicon Valley companies grow, um, they grow every time it's, every time they raise a new round of funding. Yep. Right. Um, and typically, um, the guys writing the check look a certain way. Sure. Right. So they fund entrepreneurs that look like that. They come from a similar background, similar schools right? Um, and they hire a management team from that same background and same yep. schools. And so every time you raise around 10, $20 million, it's time to go out and and, and hire another 100 people, yep. right? And so yes. they're relying on the people who are at the top to tap into their networks to hire that next 100 people. Um, and that next 100 people looks exactly like Absolutely. management team, uh, and so forth and so on after every funding round. Um, but if the, top, if, the, if the top management team was diverse, and I'm not just talking about diverse in terms of complexion, I'm sure. also talking about diverse in terms of education. Um, like, what if, what if Larry or Sergey went to Howard, right, or went to Morehouse? Exactly. Uh, you don't think they would know any other black people who, 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 would have, who would have been, you know, senior leaders at Google and so forth and so on when Google continued to raise money and started to scale? And so that's the way I see it.
1: Yeah, so I'm curious. You look at this moment right now. We have uh, uh, there's been more attention on racial justice than there probably ever has been within my lifetime. I mean, we've had. I'm sure you remember Rodney King and, and what happened then. I do think this is more directed, and it's been more significant in terms of the amount of attention and time, and just the intensity of it. From what I've seen within my lifetime, I can. I mean, I'm sure the '60s would seem to be more intense than other parts of. Uh, I wouldn't know about that. Uh, but I wouldn't know about it either. But I'm saying right now in my lifetime, uh, this, I think, is the most significant moment uh, I have seen. What do you think is the opportunity in this moment at this time? And how should uh, people of color, black and brown folks in the tech world, what opportunities should they take in yeah. this moment that may be different than prior moments, if if if, if any at all?
0: No, absolutely. I think it is an opportunity. And the question is, how long will that opportunity last? And a lot of it has to do with us. Right. Anytime Mm. black folks have have um, focused on civil rights, our movements have been co-opted by some other group. Yep. So so I I think we need to be really, really careful and watch against that and make sure things don't get watered down. Uh, It continues to be about black, um, which is part of the reason why we started at Revitalize this competition called pitch black. Yep. Uh, and if you want to know more about it, you can go to pitchblck.com, black without the A, uh, to check it out. But each what we do is, you know, we're trying to build bridges to close the racial funding gap. Uh, there were a number of companies that came out with Black Lives Matter statements uh, and pledged $50 billion to the Black community. Uh, but in the past year only 250 million of that has been deployed. Yep. So we're trying to hold some of these companies accountable. Uh, to help black entrepreneurs uh, by doing Pitch Black, where we give the winner um, thirty thousand dollars, but we but but we 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 go out and get a sponsor. Our first sponsor, as you know, were, was Procter and Gamble. Absolutely. Um, and one of our upcoming sponsors will be Logitech, and uh, but we want all of those companies who made these statements to to step up and and participate um, so that we can foster and and push black entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. When I, I had this conversation on uh, Roland Martin, and we talked about this being like another opportunity for reconstruction and getting it right and making sure that not only is there ask, but the ask is significant enough that really makes uh, a, a large impact because, I mean, companies are doing this, let's be clear. Yada, yada, right thing to do. That's not why they're doing it. It's also, uh, it's also the profitable thing to do. They see that this is where things are going. And they're as you said, some are trying to figure out a way to – get ahead of it in order to figure out a way to commoditize it, not necessarily for improving the lives of black and brown people, but just improving the bottom line and using us as the leverage right now, as we speak, uh, we're talking about the hundred year anniversary of Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. And there's been a huge movement there to really kind of popularize things and make it kind of like a tourist site, which is okay, but we need to make sure that we're doing stuff that we're actually investing in black businesses there, that we're changing uh, opportunities and, 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 we're, and we're providing long-term impact because that community was decimated uh, and has never been fully compensated for what happened to them. I mean, no,
0: so a- I- absolutely. And something changed in me when when um, George Floyd happened, right? You know, I, I've been in Silicon Valley for over a decade building companies, and um, you know, for a long time I didn't. I just kind of bit my tongue because I didn't want to quote unquote be blackballed by Sand yep. Hill Road um, and not able to raise capital, but after George Floyd, I just said ethic, And yeah. um and which is which was part of the motivation for uh, my partner and I, Andre Ford, starting um Revitalize.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome. I and mean, we need more people like you. And and as you said, we also need to work together more uh to hold people accountable. There's a because uh, there's enough money out there. We're not we're not poor. Sometimes we're poorly organized as a community and really working and collaborating together. So I'm, I'm glad to make sure uh, that you're doing this and I'll make sure others are gonna know about Pitch to Black and what you guys are doing. Uh, I'm curious to get your opinion on the current like internet uh, 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 stage we're in right now. I would, I would argue we've been in three different stages. We're in a third stage. The first stage was the tech stage. It was just the beginning. People just getting introduced to commerce. The second stage is where we are right now. Uh, but I believe we're moving uh, to another stage: the, the centralization, the Facebook, the Google's of the world. Just the centralization, and now what you're seeing with the blockchain and just the kind of decentralized uh, and, and, and the and the uh, you know blockchain and all the technology behind that. What do you see in the coming years? Given that you've been involved in, in Silicon Valley for a while, for a while, what do you see as the opportunities and maybe the points of caution with, with, with blockchain technology as we move into internet, what I call internet 3.0, what a lot of people call internet
0: 3.0. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're right. I, I actually think, a lot of people think a ton of wealth was created over the last decade. And it was um, uh, as we went from kind of that web 2.0 to kind of internet everywhere on mobile. Um, but I actually think more wealth is going to be created over the course of the next decade um, because we have a convergence, a lot of things converging together. Uh, and blockchain is certainly at the and decentralization is at the center of that uh, decentralized finance. I mean you know people hear about bitcoin and like, and, and they and they, they understand it a little bit, but until they really understand how blockchain works and what makes it kind of a game changer, then it's hard for them to wrap their brains around it. but uh, we've seen from two thousand and seventeen when I first started investing in and in, in bitcoin and other and other altcoins, um, the whole market cap of these alternative currencies, et cetera, was like you know 250 million dollars. Now it's 2.5 trillion, and that's just going to continue as more and more people take real dollars and buy virtual goods and and virtual currencies. Um, and and so it's when you hear about you know things like um, uh, Bitcoin, people are like, okay, I can't spend Bitcoin really. What is it really about? Um, and then you hear about Ethereum, which is Um, It's a protocol, um, but yet, you know, you you still buy a token, Um, you know, it's, you know, Bitcoin is like gold. Ethereum is like owning Microsoft stock. Exactly. And people don't understand it. To your point, Ethereum
1: is like another part of the internet. It's like where apps are built on with blockchain technology. People don't understand. Like they think it's not just the fact that you can spend money and people value it and they do it's a whole nother level of applications that are put on top of it.
0: Yeah. And and then, and then there's a bunch of decentralized finance companies like compound and uh, et cetera. Uh, you you can go to defi pulse and, and see those and some of those tokens are taken off. And then you got, you know, Chainlink, which is an Oracle. I mean, it's, 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 we're in the matrix really. The yeah, we, we
1: are, we are, we are in the matrix. And I, and I do, when people tell me like, I'm, as I think, you know, I'm in the NFT space. We started a, uh, uh, a, a platform, a minting NFT platform uh, for diverse artists, collectors, and social impact art. But uh, I've heard people say that, well, I just think the whole thing's a bubble. And I said, some of it is a bubble. You, you know what? And the internet was a bubble 20 years ago and asked Jeff Bezos about that bubble and a whole bunch of other people. It's a, uh, yes, there, there, there are people that are just creating things that have no value. So your goal should be figure out those who are creating value and invest in them. That's what you should do.
0: And even bigger than that, even bigger than that, buy and hold, right? Because yep. I had a ton of Amazon stock in 2000, right? I had sold my company in 99. I had a ton of Amazon stock in 2000. Oh. When the bubble burst, I got out of all my dot-com stocks, right? Um, and so, so, yeah, you know, um, a blockchain is going to be very, very similar, but um, that's a great I lesson that you,
1: that, that you had in that. That's a great lesson, Claire. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think people need to hear that, right? You've been very successful, but had you had you held on the to stock to Amazon, just one stock, right? You, yeah. You've been very successful, but you would probably be enormously more successful had you held on to that stock and not panic in the middle moments. There are going to be, down as you see cryptos going down, there's going to be downturns. It's just, it's
0: part of it. it well, if you look at the charts from, from Bitcoin's inception, It would go way up and then go way down, way up and go way down. But that that cycle started and it was was usually in a three year cycle. That cycle started with Bitcoin at less than one cent, and now it it went way up to sixty thousand and then down to thirty two thousand. The next way up is probably going to be one hundred twenty thousand.
1: Yep. So hey, uh, definitely stay in the market. Uh, invest, like you said, be, you said that earlier, be an investor. And I'm going to, I need to do that more as I found my company. You find yourself, you put everything in there. You probably should put more into investments that you would like. I understand these investments I, and I understand how Ethereum works, and we should put money aside and things that we're investing in as we are growing. Not to say you uh, you don't believe your company will be that next level, but your, your companies became very successful, but you also could have been, and you still have been a very largely successful. Uh, investor, but you could have been more had you had you had you had, had, you had that mentality. All right, so I got it. Go ahead.
0: No, no, I was saying uh, I was disagreeing with you.
1: So, all right, uh, some rapid fire questions I, I, I love to ask people here. So, you have a uh, committee of three, living or dead, to advise you that, on life, business, personal.
0: Who are these three people and why? Wow, and that's a really interesting thing. A committee of three, living or dead. It could be a mixture thereof, um, okay well Jesus Christ would be one that's a good one, <laughs> okay um
1: what would you ask Jesus right now you hear boom
0: um you know uh just you know keep, keep keep me mind body soul balance right he would be a spiritual advisor um, um, you know uh, I think I would focus on that there because I, I I believe in those things you can have all the money in the world, and if your mind's not right, if your spirit's not right. Yep um, you know, um, you won't, you know, you won't enjoy it and you won't get the most of your time here. It'll come
1: crashing down one way or another. If it's not financial, it'll be spiritual. If it's not spiritual, it'll be physical. It'll likely be a combination in some way of all three. I agree with you.
0: That's right. Um, uh, um, you know, maybe Reginald Lewis. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. So, you know, I, I read a book about Reginald Lewis. He's also from Baltimore. I'm originally from Baltimore. It was called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Yep. Uh, when I was young in my career. And, you know, it, it totally, totally, um, it was transformative. Um, because, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And he was a brother who was doing it um, uh, at a much, much bigger level. He was the first black billionaire uh, in, the, in the early 90s, late 80s, um, pretty much, when he bought Beatrice Foods. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to get his perspective because I, I feel like he was ahead of this time. Um, and, you know, the last one is interesting. It's I don't really have one that comes to mind as clearly as the first two. OK. Um, um, because, yeah, um, it could be two. If you got two, that's good. That's yeah, let's let's go with those two for now. Okay, I'm sure I could have chose. I'm sure number three would be you know also incredible, but I would need more time to think about it. Oh no, no problem, no problem. All right, what's when, the time you failed? But
1: it seemed like a failure at the time, but later on it became really a good learning lesson and it helped set
0: you up for greater success. I, I failed a thousand times like that, but but you know whenever you're whenever you're doing a startup, yeah, um, yeah. You know, you got what realize. stands
1: out, what stands out, what particular moment stands out, though? There's got to be one or two that really are like, OK, this moment was like, man, this was. all
0: rough. right. Well, so here's here. Here's an example. Um, it might be a little controversial. So I, I, I like a, controversial. This is disruption now. Go. Of course. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, did, I did a startup called Arrived um, and I moved the Silicon Valley, moved my entire team to Silicon Valley in tw- late 2010. And um, we launched on stage at TechCrunch Disrupt. Um, and, you know, I'd already had some success as an entrepreneur. So I figured we would be able to go to the VCs on Sand Hill Road and raise money easily. Um, you know, at least get a series A done. Um, so I was confident that we would be able to continue to pay payroll. We had raised maybe a couple hundred thousand bucks, uh, um, to get the company to where it was. And I thought we had, you know, enough traction to do that. And we couldn't raise the money. Um, and we couldn't raise the money, um, you know, and that, that's the challenge of being black in America. You don't necessarily know, could you not raise the money because your stuff wasn't good? Or because you're not, could you not raise the money because you weren't the right hue? Right. right. My um, guess is the second one, if you've already had traction, but go ahead. Yeah. And so, <laughs> uh, so I, I started to look around. And I realized that the guys who were raising money were young, 20-something white males. Yeah. And unfortunately, that company went under, but I learned a valuable lesson from that. Um, so when I started my next company, Progressly, uh, I played it a little differently. I went out and, you know, after um, after Progressly had traction and, and we had an early product, instead of me doing the pitching, I went and found a young white male um, who was connected to the Valley. And he did the pitching. And guess what? We raised $8 million. Wow. You know, and you
1: say that story in 2010, and it's both depressing, but not surprising. Uh, <laughs> on another show, I had... Um, Chauncey Mayfield. He was he was one of the first um, uh, brothers to get uh, raise a billion dollars in real estate, and he 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 had a similar tactic. Like they would go in and have the real estate just about close, and the deal be done, and then they. See that uh, they look on paper, recognize that was a black college, or see him in person, and then not do the deal, not do the deal. So finally, he just started. He had a he had a person front <laughs> that was a white person, yeah. right? And, and then he started closing deals. Then he had like two or three hundred million dollars. These people didn't even know that he was the person that owned all this stuff. So one day he just decided to show up. Claire, you love this. He decided to show up. They knew Chauncey Mayfield. They assumed he was a white guy. He decided to show up in the middle of the street uh, uh, by by the corner of his building, and he told the building manager he was coming out. And then the guy, he was he just sit there. And the guy was looking around, looked past him. He kept seeing him. He kept looking. He was looking. He was like, I'm looking for somebody. Like He said, "Did you see anybody out here? He said, no. And then Chauncey said, I, I might be able to help you. Who are you looking for? He said, no, you probably wouldn't know. He said, well, give, give me a try. What's his name? He said, Chauncey Mayfield's name. He said, that's me. <laughs> I looked at him like, I mean, the fact is he had to tell that story in the 90s. And you have to tell that story in 2010. I would like to believe that 2020
0: made people more enlightened, but I'm also not naive. Uh-huh. And then you look at and then you look at the 40s. And I think there was a movie on Apple TV called The Banker. Right. You know, they they pretty much did the same thing in the 30s and 40s. And so um, unfortunately, that that song goes on. So hopefully post George Floyd, all this, quote unquote, capital committed, um, you know, to to black businesses and black founders will change some of that um, discussion. But, you know, unfortunately, it's a reality. And for me, you know, you tell me how to play the game. I'm going to play the game according to those rules. Uh, Even if I don't like the rules. Yep. And then break them when you get the rule, when you get when you get in the game, you
1: can break the rules once you understand the game and understand the rules. But um, I look at this moment right now, I think this is a window in time, just like Reconstruction was just like the post 60s was. And I still think, you know, I, I love America, but also understand where I'm at, too. People will regress to the mean because it's so in our DNA To do this that we, I'm talking about Black people right now, have to take advantage of this moment to create as much opportunity and as much wealth and to build from this moment going forward. Uh, That's what I think.
0: Yeah. And and to be vertically integrated. I mean, one of the things I love about Tyler Perry is that he built an entire studio kind of his way um, um, outside of Hollywood in Atlanta um, and knows his market. And so we're we're trying to do something similar with, with Revitalize.
1: You guys can do that. through You talked about through crowdfunding. I know you are talking about, talk a little Correct. bit about, that's a great point because we didn't talk about this moment right now that of crowdfunding and, and being able to invest, not just in, you know, just like in 2010, you, you didn't have many other options. Now you would have the option to go out and go crowdfunding with people that understand who you are. And you can just like a campaign, go out there and build, talk about what you see as the opportunity with crowdfunding going forward and what you yeah, guys so are doing in
0: that moment. Well, that's what we're doing at Revitalize. Um, you know, we, we want to democratize. I mean, it, it's not only the entrepreneurs, um, you know, for, who, who are getting wealthy in Silicon Valley um, when they get funded. It's the investors who are getting wealthy when they get funded. And, and historically, investors couldn't invest in a private company unless you were accredited, which means you already have a certain amount of wealth. You're already which, rich, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which left out lots of black and brown people. Um, but when Obama was in office in 2012, um, he implemented the Jobs Act, and a piece of the Jobs Act was about crowdfunding, allowing non-accredited investors to be able to write checks, even $250 checks. And so, uh, and they've updated those laws and they made them even more favorable recently. And so, we're building our studio, revitalized on that um, notion. We don't just want to make uh, a bunch of you know uh, already wealthy investors more wealthy by having them back our startups we want to bring our startups to the people and democratize access as investors. And so instead of us having like 10 investors, we might have 10,000. Um, and we, and we, we administer that, you know, through a platform called uh, Republic is who we typically use. Oh yeah, Republic's um, great. Yes. And, and, and yeah. And so, but ultimately um, it allows our people to become investors. And so when, when we create these, you know, black CEOs who are are running black billion dollar unicorn startups um, out, you know, those those earliest investors who do the best um, will be people who who look like the founding teams they're supporting. And so that's a big chunk of what we're doing at Revitalize. Now, you can't just invest in any crowdfunding campaign, you really need to be part of a community. So we're creating a community of what we call revitalizers. So if you go to revitalizeventures.com, you can give us your email address and join our community. And we'll educate you on a whole space and give you opportunities to invest in companies that have the have the potential to be unicorns. That's awesome. We'd love to work with you on that to get more people connected to what you're
1: doing. I think it's great work, and it makes it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, there's we have to look at ways to I'll hold
0: you to that. Oh no,
1: oh, not worry. I, I, I will definitely follow up. You, uh, we we will definitely work together on that because I I think it's so important for our community. Uh, I've been involved in a long time trying to find ways to change constructs and and, and really have a collective impact. And I've come to the belief that while it's important to, it's important to make sure you hold government accountable, that you understand what's going on and you vote. uh, Nobody's coming to save us. Like there's there's superheroes are for the comic books. (laughs) We have to collectively come together and save ourselves because nobody's coming. Like at the end of the day, it's not going to happen. I'm not saying don't get involved. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that by itself is not going to, Resolve all the issues for us. We have to get involved, make sure we vote, and most importantly, and collectively organize. And that and that, and that means more than just uh, voting for people. It means also investing in each other. I mean, so I think what you're doing is so important.
0: Absolutely, and I, I appreciate that, bro. And I and I, I've always subscribed to that, right? You know, um, social security isn't even going to save me, right? So I've never no. depended on that. It's part of the reason I've been an entrepreneur and nobody's coming to save us. And quite frankly, we shouldn't want that. No, look, I, I agree. I mean, and, and it's not gonna happen anyway. So it's just,
1: you, might, you might want it, you might think it's a good idea. I don't care what the model looks like, it is not going to save us, it's just not gonna work. Um, all right, so another question i like to ask is a controversial one. What's an important truth you have or conviction that very few people agree
0: with you on? It's a hard question on purpose. That very few people can agree with me on you know, I'm an agreeable kind of guy, right? You know, what I say is pretty logical. Most people, right. it, except for my kids half the time. Um, but but um, let, me, let me think, a truth, a conviction that very few people agree with me on. Can you give me an example? What's I'll give you one? my example. So
1: um, most people like to believe that they are good people uh, collectively. I would say human history and science say that that's not true. Uh, the truth is it's 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 easier than you think to become Nazi Germany. Like people look at Nazi Germany're like, oh my God, how could that happen? My question to people is how can you not understand how that could happen? And it's because people are uh, easily influenced by crowds, people lack real self-awareness almost collect- uh, almost almost without exception because it's very hard to become self-aware. Uh, Robert Green, one of my favorite authors, says this about uh, in his, in his book, the Laws of Human Nature, his first law is about the law of irrationality. The first rule of, uh, of becoming rational is to recognize that you are irrational. Again, people like to believe that they are rational, that they're autonomous. The truth is you're not as autonomous and as rational yeah. as you think you are. And you have to work night and day to make sure you're fighting against your own irrationality and your own biases in order to be that good person that you hope to be.
0: That, that's yeah. my fear. Well, I, I put it this way. Um, when, when, here's one. When I first got to Silicon Valley, there was this whole thing going around um, that Silicon Valley was a meritocracy, right? Meaning you, you excel based on your own merits. Um, and uh, I, a lot of my, you know, white friends or, you know, um, very educated friends believed that to be true. Um, they weren't black, obviously, yeah. um, but they, they, they believed that to be true. Um, and now now those same folks understand that it's not true. And, and part of the reason why they believed it to be true is because Silicon Valley is even though they think it's diverse, it's not diverse. It's international. No. Right. It's, it's that's it's, correct. It's international, but it's not diverse. Um, and you could come to America from India, um, you know, with a strong tech background and make it in Silicon Valley. Fascinating, you can if you can come from than if you come to Silicon Valley from East Baltimore with a strong tech background, right? Because they're, they're baked in biases of people who write the checks um, that a person from India is, is, is more likely to be a successful tech founder and, and, and technical person than a person from East Baltimore who's brown. And so, Silicon Valley by no means is a meritocracy. And I think uh, George Floyd showed us that America. It's certainly not a a meritocracy. Um, But um, yeah, so that was it.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Final question You have a billboard or a Google ad to be 21st century that has your theme or saying, what does that say and why?
0: 21st century to be theme, a big billboard or Google ad. Um, You know, it would be about becoming a revitalizer, right? Because uh, I think that's how we change the complexion of tech, and and we got to do it in a vertically integrated way, right? The money needs to come from people that look like us and allies, um, you know. And the, as if we, when we, when we can prove that we can invest in us and build things at scale, you know, I talked about turning grapes into watermelons. Um, you know, everybody can get a piece of that watermelon, right? We just got to focus on getting it to a watermelon. Um, and certain of us, you know, some of us know how to do it. Um, uh, and I feel like I'm one of those people Um, but it takes a community um, to do it together and so it would be about going to revitalizedventures.com giving us your email address We're getting ready to launch a new website that really speaks to this um, and becoming a revitalizer
1: all right Clarence Wooten uh, we're definitely going to I can tell you disruption now will become a revitalizer we'll talk about how we do it and we look forward to seeing all the great work that you will do Clarence thank you for taking time to come on the show
0: thanks Rob it's been great